Welcome. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Marketing Mind. On this show, I have conversations with my friends in marketing. These experts are the best in their fields, and we dive deeper into what makes their careers and how they get where they are. My name is John Ellis. I am a marketing professional. I've been in digital marketing for close to 20 years now, and at that time, I met a lot of great people, a lot of great experts, and I want to introduce you to those people. You can find me on Twitter every day discussing marketing, join the conversation, or just ask me any digital marketing question. If I can't help you, I know an expert who can. So find me on Twitter at John W. Ellis. We use these episodes to get to know these marketing pros. How do they get to this point in their career? What was their path? Oftentimes we are seeing left turns from where their career started and how they got there. So thanks so much for the response and comments on the last episode. I really appreciate it. We are back today with a brand new episode and a brand new guest. Today I looked inside the marketing mind of... Aaron Levy, Group Director of SEM at Tenuity. Now, Aaron is a digital marketing industry expert that I have known for quite a few years. He's actively involved in many of the conferences I attend. As he mentioned, he's with Tenuity as a group director. He has a team of about 65 people that he manages, either directly or through other managers. So we started our conversation talking about that role. Here's Aaron. Role is basically make sure that my managers are managing correctly, uh, and then making sure that, you know, all the insights for our clients and processes and all that stuff still work as we go into the future, which is evidenced by current state of things. The future is a little different than we think and it changes a lot. So I would say that my, my idea is to, I have to think a year or two ahead so my team can think a week or two ahead. Like you said, the future is who know, who knows? I mean, anything you plan now, uh, who knows what's going to happen six months from now? Yeah. I mean, Financial forecasting obviously has been really challenging, but, um, I mean, as far as people and stuff that we do and the way that people work, it's, yeah, it's not too different. It's just a change of scenery. Well, you guys, I mean, obviously everyone's remote now, but was a good, good portion of the company remote anyways? Uh, yeah, my team was about a quarter. I think my team and the company as a whole are, we're both about a quarter remote. So we're pretty used to it. I mean, we're in no rush to go back to the offices. Like it would be a huge cost expenditure, obviously to make everything. COVID proofed and put plexiglass dividers between it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Cause I, I mean, I've been remote for over 10 years now with various gigs and companies and projects. So uh, that's all I know, but I'm curious to know if what's going to happen, you know, a year from now to do, do a lot of companies just start doing more remote. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think in our industry, it won't really be, obviously it won't be too big of an issue. Cause like if you have internet and something resembling a laptop, you're fine. There's all the, wa- like the water cooler stuff, the management by walking around, that sort of stuff. Like I can't really tell if someone's feeling a little off on a given day. Cause I can't see them. Yeah. That's, that's true. So you must be pretty, I mean, how big is that company? Must be pretty, pretty big, right? Employee wise. Yeah. We're about, we're about 650 in total. So it's wow. been, uh, yeah, it's been pretty rapid growth. When I joined then elite SEM, uh, we were around like 90, 95. I remember having our 100th employee celebration pretty soon after. And the Philly office was like five people at the time. So they sent 100 cupcakes to each office. And so there were just five dudes with 100 cupcakes, <laughs> uh, which was peculiar. But um, yeah, we got uh, we took on a big uh, private equity investment about two and a half years ago, uh, which was very nice for those of us that had been there for a while. Um, and then we worked on diversifying because putting all of your eggs in one basket, especially when that basket is Google, little risky for long term. Right. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is, is it 
obviously elite SEM was SEM. Yep. Are you yep. guys mostly, so mostly doing pay-per-click now or you are all over? It's probably about a quarter to 35% of the business, something like that. We, we acquired slash merge slash whatever you want to call it with that CPC strategy, uh, that officially closed about mid June of last year, something like that. Um, so they were the largest Amazon agency in addition, having a, a pretty beefy pay-per-click team who we still love. And we hadn't merged with an email company about a two years before that natural synergy for, for a pay-per-click is okay. You get the people in, you get their email address, and then you have a good email marketing team to actually make that email address worth money. And prior to that, we had acquired uh, at the time was Orion CKB, which was a large social agency. So, and we're starting to build out uh, an OTT team as well. So our idea is basically anything for the triopoly, basically anything digital media, we can do it, but we're also trying to be, be cognizant of where we don't want to go. So are you, uh, so are you able to still get your, keep your hands on stuff and get in there and do stuff or is it mostly manager level? Uh, I'm not pushing buttons a whole lot, but I do spend a lot of time, uh, analyzing, reviewing. So like trying to figure out how we handle or assess smart bidding. Like, is it doing what it's supposed to do? Like, that's one thing. Is it a positive investment if you have to quote unquote pay for a learning period? Uh, what should our policies be? When should we implement it or not? So I'm not doing a whole lot of button pushing anymore, um, which a lot of analysis, a lot of reviewing, a lot of seeing what other people are doing to then establish what are our quote unquote best practices, even though I hate that word. Right. Phrase. Yeah. Right. And that's always, uh, the, the tricky part with our industry, cause you want to sort of advance your career and advance your knowledge and move on to bigger projects, but you also kind of at least have to still dabble a little bit or you're, it's quickly going to pass you by and you're not going to be able to have those conversations with people. Yeah. I mean, very much so. I, uh, frankly, most of my career, education, childhood, whatever, uh, I was the take apart the TV type of guy uh, to figure out how the TV works and then being unable to put it back together and then we need new TV. So maybe it was a secret trick. But um, I've always been uh, like, all right, how does this work and why does it happen? So even being away from button pushing, I can sort of understand or tie back to things. When I didn't use to push buttons uh, all the time that, Okay, so smart bidding looks at X, Y, Z, four factors. So, okay, let's group our stuff by those and see what happens. Like our old adage of, okay, group the campaigns by site hierarchy. Like, okay, that was nice for us people to look at, but it didn't really do anything. So what should we actually do in the future? Where do you think your career, did you have any insight where your career would be? I mean, I can't imagine this was the plan because what, whatever, 15 years ago, whenever you got out of school, whatever the time frame was i don't imagine this was high on the high on the list of things so this is going to be uh i always struggle telling my how did you get into this story because i think i'm one of the a, a handful of people in the world that it sort of was the plan and it sort of was tailor-made which is a little funny i mean in high school i was a, a chef cook front of house depending on who didn't show up to work that day at a at a upper tier restaurant and so I love, I love the industry food service and I love the customer service element and the dichotomy of people and sort of figuring out how to get people to buy what you want them to buy. Um, thought about culinary school and then realized that I like money and sleep and people that are somewhat normal. But so I went to college and sort of dabbled in every single, um, every single major that we had to offer. I came in with a bunch of AP credits because I was a nerd in high school. Um, 
so I had a little bit of freedom. Eventually landed on, uh, I majored in marketing and information systems, uh, with a mix of finance. So kind of, yeah, exactly. It's kind of tailor made for exactly what this stuff is. Um, but so going back to my little culinary background, being a nerd and having some significant kidney elbowing from my mother, I started looking for a summer internship in like November of, I think it was my sophomore year, junior year. Um, uh, that was 2006, right? Math? Yeah, I think that was it. Um, but so I had an interview with DuPont, uh, that make basically everything. They coat your pans, a lot of sort of stuff. It just so happened that, um, the interviewer had been to the restaurant that I worked at and she loved it. It was the easiest interview that I've ever had, but it was for a, an e-business co-op. So I worked full time for about six months for DuPont, took one class in the evening. So it was like weird sort of college. I got paid a bunch of money that I then promptly paid back to the university that I wasn't really going to. It was weird. Um, but so my job there was basically to, it was helping with, uh, getting their web analytics platform upgraded to at the time Omniture. I don't know why they put a co-op so heavily involved with that, but oh yes, good old site catalyst. I still have nightmares of EVARs in my head. Um, but for all intents and purposes, my co-op was designed to be kind of a traveling salesman to all the different business unit owners to make them give a crap about their website, which none of them really did. But so, you know, when people hear me talk, they're like, oh, how do you make this stuff so tangible? And because that is quite literally where my career started, uh, is I had to go to a bunch of old heads from a Fortune 50 company that think that ever, thought that everything came from word of mouth and networking and trade shows and whatever. And I had to find a way to give them data that they cared about. Being a 20 year old who was then getting attention from the C level at a fortune 50 company. I was pretty much like, Oh, I, I like this. This is a career. I can, I could do this for a while. And so it sort of sprung from there, wound up getting a job and, uh, agency in the Philly suburbs that at the time was GSI commerce, which then became eBay. And then is now the, it's mostly gone by now, but the shell of it is fanatics. So they power all the sports leagues. You know, it just sort of continued from there. I had a couple of clients that larger scale actually worked for primarily like media companies. So I had like Nickelodeon and PBS and HBO were all my clients. And same thing, I managed to get the CEO of PBS to care about 22 year old Aaron just by like taking this internet nerdy stuff and speaking a language they could understand. It wound up being kind of a good full circle. And it also sort of fit my skill set from all these restaurants where like I had to sell all this quote-unquote specials, when really it was just like, ah, fish is about to go bad, like, we better get this all out of here. So learning how to teach people, learning how to be responsible for my own success, learning how to speak language that they cared about and could understand, it was pretty natural. It was more like, no, this this was kind of the plan, and it worked. It's funny you say that, because I've always believed that a big part of what we do, really anything in the digital space, is, you know, a big portion of the job is is education. Teaching people, teaching people why this matters, Teaching people how, you know, the explaining the complicated and the scale it down. I don't want to say dumb it down, but explain it, <laughs> scale it down to why this matters to them and why you need to do this. And it sounds like you were kind of doing that from the get go by talking to these people. It's like, this is, this is why you need to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of internal sales. And I think my big quote unquote success is like they had me 
I sold, for lack of a better word, the and this was perfect for a 20-year-old who was extremely mature. Uh, the first client that I got to truly invest in it was the chemical lubricants business. Um, and so my work, I had no idea what I was doing, but um, I worked with the Google team who at the time were, um, you know, did a ton of work, met with us on site, uh, taught me as I was working, and it was really helpful. Um, wound up closing Toyota from a lead. That was, that I had generated, which, yeah, little company, little yeah. lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, I mean, again, once I had that sort of success and figured out the, you know, I had a, I had a, an early version of a case study, I guess. Um, using that as kind of a springboard really, really helped me get investment from other business units. Step back a little bit though. Where, where are you from initially? I know you're in the Philly area now. You've been there your, your whole life. No, I, I grew up in Ithaca, New York. So Cornell, um, lots of hippies, lots of tofu and vegetables and really pretty stuff. Um, but so I wound up coming to Philly to go to Villanova. Um, absolutely loved it. Still lecture, teach there every so often. Good relationship with the school, but I sort of figured that I would stick around Philly and do the victory lap with my buddies and then probably move to New York City. All my buddies moved away. I own a house. Uh, Clearly we see what happened, but, um, I love the, I love the edginess of Philly. So, uh, what was life like in Ithaca? You said it was a little hippie-ish. It was very hippie-ish. So, um, but when you think of like the movement towards natural, natural foods and like eating stuff that came within five miles and eating less meat and playing outside and much and like organic and stuff like that, that's not new to me. That's what I grew up with. So, I had a a little bit of a, I'll call it culture shock when I got to Villanova, which is notoriously a bunch of rich prep school kids and me coming from a place that was extremely diverse and like lots of people growing their own foods and like learning how to do all these things. And we had a place, it still exists actually, it's called Eco Village, which is an entirely self-sustaining place. Obviously from, growing up. You go from that to Philly cheese steak sandwiches. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was certainly a little bit of a culture shock. Were your parents and I guess, uh, I don't want to say hippie, but they were into the, the health food and more aware of what's going on in the world? Not really, honestly. My, my family all grew up in Rochester, so everybody worked for either Kodak or Wegmans or both. Yeah, my father was a, a partner at whatever the KP part was of KPMG before they merged. And so he was an accountant. So they moved to Ithaca because he had some fringe friends that were opening a firm there and so they were like, hey, you can be a partner if you come here. And he was like, okay. And it wasn't too far away from where the whole family was. So we just sort of settled there. My family was certainly involved in in that sort of stuff. But I wouldn't say that it was like a yeah. big part of our life. It wasn't the focus. We weren't like, oh, it's vegan Mondays. <laughs> it was more of just like, ah, we're going to have mostly vegetables tonight and like some tofu. I mean, I think if anything, like I didn't really consciously think like, oh, I'm eating crazy healthy. But I learned that like, okay. Food that was from a farmer's market or just pulled out of the ground tastes way better than food that was shipped here from Mexico. And I like food that tastes good. So I'm going to eat this more. So what, so if I was that, like when you were a kid, if I was to ask you what you wanted to do for a living or a job, what would you have said? Other than, <laughs> other than like super, superhero, I guess, or whatever. So funny enough, I have my, my book about me from when I was two years old. So I can I swear to God, question. if you, if you say group director of paper, I wanted to run <laughs> paid search campaigns. Uh, no, it was uh, in my, my book about me. I have mailman written down and then I crossed that out and wrote Fisher person because I apparently wanted to be gender neutral when I was two. 
But you, you, put uh, male, you put male man, but Fisher person. Male man, but Fisher person. But no, I'd say when I was, like, I played hockey for years and years and still, I still do. And I played golf for years and years and still do. I played yesterday and it was phenomenal. But I don't think I ever had the, like, I want to be a pro athlete thing or like, I want to be a superhero thing. It was more of, I wanted to do something where I was always good at math. So I wanted to do something that was like math E oriented. I knew what my dad did as an accountant, and I knew I did not want to do that ever. Oh, like, your job is to count, and then we can't see you for three months out of the year. Like, that's that sounds bad. Honestly, like, when I was in probably my middle school and high school, what I wanted wasn't too far away from where I landed. I'm sure that I didn't, again, I didn't know that paid search existed. Um, but I did always like finance. I liked economics. Uh I actually started as a finance major at Villanova and then pretty quickly realized, like, I don't feel great about this all the time. Um, so I, I guess if you if you would have asked me back then, it probably would have been something in finance with stocks or stuff like that. Um, so I guess I'm not too far off. Yeah. What's things looking like for you? And with the, obviously this COVID-19 stuff going on, are you – well, from a personal level, are you, are you stable? you feel – comfortable does you get, are you get the company stable yeah yeah i mean uh, look we're facing some of the same challenges that everyone else is that we're fine now we've been fine for a while the near future looks fine too longer term if stuff doesn't open up for six months and some of our clients start to go bankrupt uh, are we in trouble i gotta be honest i felt a little bit guilty for lack of a better word because i've had no personal problems I'm healthy. I live by myself, so I've been a little stir crazy, but for the most part, it's been fine. I have a little outdoor space. My house has enough rooms in it that I don't have to sit in the same room all the time. I really pity people in New York that are in a studio. But as I say, I mean, Philly has a number of its own challenges with how city government works. It's a whole different podcast, but, um, <laughs> I mean, us being a, a larger agency with our clients skewing bigger. Sure, we've had some challenges and some have made decisions to pause, some have made decisions to amp up, some are making just a, well, we're going to be a little more quiet. But, um, you know, for the most part, we're, we're fine. Um, yeah. Uh, well, well, two things. One, on a lighter note, you can join me tomorrow on my other podcast, Inside Philly Politics, where we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we do know, and you, and you and I know companies in this industry that, that have had to let go, had to let go people. Um, here, a couple here and there, but also some, some big chunks of people at certain companies as well. And that's just, you know, knock on wood and lucky or, or survivor's guild or whatever you want to call it. We're, I'm okay too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, feels good for us. I'm, I'm glad to hear that about you. I know that a lot of, uh, a lot of folks that work with smaller businesses are struggling because the smaller businesses are struggling really hard. And obviously when you're a freelancer, cash flow is important. And if people say, Hey, I can't pay you now, but I can pay you in six months. But I mean, look at what you're seeing for all the businesses. Like, what was it, J. Crew that filed for banks yesterday? They were on the ropes already. So obviously, uh, you know, the current scenario has extrapolated some things. But right. if it was a problem before this, it was a problem during it, and it's going to be a problem after. Yeah. So a lot well, of these I, agencies that are that are shedding people, yeah, might have had look, some challenges. Before it kind of reminds me of the parallel when you said that. Just it, it hit me all of a sudden, and I certainly wasn't laughing at the tragedy, but just laughing at the. The irony is, uh, with just pay-per-click in general, I often tell people that pay-per-click's not going to fix your problems with your company. It's only going to highlight them. 
So if you don't have, if you don't have your, um, supply chain working, you know, you don't have your price structure right, or you don't know how to, how to ship stuff or how to purchase stuff or what your, all that's going to be, then we, you shouldn't be running pay-per-click ads now because this is just going to really highlight everything you have wrong. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as, as an industry, as a, on a whole, uh, we really haven't had to pull. I mean, there are some more obvious ones that like, okay, if, a, if we have a, a couple of restaurant chains as clients and like, uh, they're pretty quiet right now. But for the most part, I mean, a paid search is demand capture. It's not demand generation. So if demand is there, you should go get it. If it's not there, don't bother. So to a degree, the investment is a little bit self-correcting on that front. Uh, you know, obviously other channels like display, broader picture advertising, uh, OTT, traditional cable, billboards, that sort of stuff is a little bit more complicated. But since we're pull marketing, if there's stuff to pull, let's go pull it. Yeah. You have a sense of kind of where your career is going or you kind of winging it? Uh, do you have a, um, a bigger plan? Winging it in a general direction. I mean, Tenuity, formerly lead SAM, is the company whose entire philosophy is let's keep our people as happy as possible because then they'll work harder. Let's stay the course for the near term. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think longer term, it's, it's probably more the same depending where this digital industry goes. But, you know, when we were talking about different channels and OTT versus Facebook versus Google versus whatever, they all function loosely the same way. Um, and frankly, it's loosely the same way as most other business metrics. The future is cloudy and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a way that I would feel comfortable going any direction because what we do in our industry applies basically everywhere. Um, as long as you step back and think about how to apply it to a business, we could touch any facet of any business. Um, so I, for now it's certainly stayed the course, but in the future it's, we don't know what the future stands. I don't know if my brain will change. I don't know if my mind will change if I want to do something, but, um, I think that, uh, you know, our place in, in digital gives us a lot of freedom to do whatever we want in our careers. And, I, and the other thing I tell people is, you know, if you just, at minimal, you need to work on your writing skills and your speaking skills because that's going to pay off no matter no matter what you do. Cause, um, that's why yeah. I always encourage people to wait tables or work back of the house because right. at a restaurant because you will have to, A, deal with people from all walks of life. B, you'll have to deal with people that are not like you, and C, you will be responsible for your own success. Exactly. What advice would you give a, a kid either in college or going into college to say they want to they want your job down the road or something like your job? What, what would you what would you tell them to get there? So my college advice, as I mentioned before, would be absolutely go get some sort of a restaurant or a service based job where you're responsible for your own success because. Uh, frankly, anywhere in business, you're going to have to work with people you don't like. You're going to have to be in scenarios where you have to smile through your teeth. But honestly, uh, working in a restaurant was was phenomenal and helped me grow a lot and learn how to manage myself a lot. The thing that I'll advise for, I'll say, college that is frankly one of my biggest regrets in in university. Have fun in college. Party as much as you want. Do all that sort of stuff. But don't pick classes based on how easy they are. Take advantage of all the resources that are there. Attend the goofy little lectures, even though it feels nerdy for, oh, I'm going to go see a book reading instead of going to the bar with my buddies. Guess what? Book readings are going to start costing a whole bunch of money when you get to be an adult. So <laughs> I say that college is the time to mess around, to experiment, to learn who you are. And from my personal college experience, that skewed a lot social and a lot less academic. Don't get me wrong. I was a good student. I did pretty well, but... 
I didn't take advantage of nearly enough of the extracurriculars or, or really push myself. So, you know, thinking about when you have to do a group project and they ask for speakers, be the speaker. You might get a B minus instead of a B if you're not that good. But guess what? This is a time when you can prepare for it for when you do get paid for it. So try the stuff that you're uncomfortable with. Mess around. Try to figure out ways to make yourself a little bit better because that's what college is for anyway. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today. And listener, thank you for being a part of today's episode. I appreciate you making this part of your podcast routine. Be sure to subscribe so you're the first to know these new episodes. If you haven't yet, leave me a comment in Apple Podcasts or however you are listening. I'd love to hear from you. Reviews and stars, of course, are always helpful. As always, you can find this podcast and all the major channels. Join the discussion online. Let's talk even more about marketing. You can find me on Twitter today and every day at John W. Ellis. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.